This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on today's feature award-winning Moranalytics podcast, I'm excited about this one because I have recurring guests, Bruce Nolan from the Nick and Nolan Show, one of my absolute favorites in the Buffalo sports media, mainstream or alternative, Bruce Nolan is becoming a big-time star right before our very eyes or ears, whichever way you want to look at it. Good stuff with Bruce today, and I'll tell you what, here's what we're doing. Bruce is going to be Brandon Bean. He's taking his job over for the purpose of this episode. He's going to be the Bills GM, and we're going to take you through an entire offseason with Bruce Nolan in charge. Who will the Bills resign? Who will they let walk? Who are they going to cut? Who are they going to extend? Who are they going to sign in free agency? Bruce gives you not just the who, but the who, the how, most importantly also the why. Then we're going to head to the draft and we're going to simulate the first four rounds in real time. Bruce does not get to know ahead of time who will even be available for them. And by them, I mean the Buffalo Bills to draft. Going to have to pull that trigger in real time. Really good stuff. We'll also talk about him and Nick's recent appearance on WGR 550. Again, Bruce is becoming a pretty big deal as he should be in the Buffalo sports media. So I'm going to have that for you. Really good stuff with Bruce in just a few minutes. Before that, I want to let you know that today's show is being supported by 26 Shirts. At 26 Shirts, a different Buffalo-themed design is sold every two weeks. Then that shirt is gone. Here's the cool part. For every single shirt that they sell, a donation is made to that specific campaign each and every single time, every single shirt sold. Since 2013, their designs have managed to raise and donate several hundred thousand dollars. Incredible. Del Reed, his crew, they do such an amazing job enriching the lives of so many people. It's great to see. Not to mention, these are outstanding looking design t-shirts. They're very comfortable, very sporty to wear. I have several of these shirts, wear them out all the time. Head on over to 26shirts.com and see what cause needs you this week. And on that note, let's do it. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, everyone, episode 203, Moranalytics Podcast. Thank you, as always, for continuing to listen, download the show. It means a lot to me. Got a very packed episode today. I'm excited about this one. Not going to waste any time. My guest, recurring guest, Bruce Nolan from the Nick and Nolan Show, part of the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. One of my favorites. Dude, I'm always talking to you. Because you, I, I just, I like hearing your Bills takes a lot. They, they're very thoughtful and far more Thoughtful than most people out there, especially mine. 
And before we get to that, though, some crazy times we're entering right now. My man, Bruce Nolan, what's up? Dude, it's 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 a party. It's all the time. I mean, just disco balls, dancers, the whole thing. <laughs> I'll tell you, we planned this out quite a while ago because free agency starting next week, or at least supposed to start next week. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And we're taping this late Thursday night. It's after nine o'clock now. This will be out Friday morning for people to listen to. The last thing when I put this together that I thought I would have to be concerned about is developing news over the last 24 hours or so before we started taping, especially because the offseason hasn't even started yet. But lo and behold, this has got to be one of the craziest 48 hours or so that I can literally ever remember. A couple things Bill's related, and we'll talk about that in a second. But first, I mean, this coronavirus thing, it's just uh, turned the world upside down. And this is a sports podcast, obviously, so sports is what I talk about and everything's gone for now. I mean, not forever. It'll be back someday. Who knows when, but no hockey, no basketball, no baseball, no March madness, no nothing. This is, I I don't know what to think. And you know, usually people like yourself, me, we'd be able to lean on our uncle or father or grandfathers for some kind of precedent. But the, the reality is there is no precedent for this. Not a world war. Nothing has ever brought sports to a halt quite like this. I'll tell you, you know, you and I are going to have to come up with something interesting to say real fast, because if there's no sports, you know, I, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure I have anything else meaningful to offer the world aside from that. And uh, that's going to be really problematic. My wife's going to get really sick of me real fast. So I better come up. I better like become interesting, though. I'll level with you after almost 11 years of marriage. I'm not entirely sure I'm going to become interesting all of a sudden, but I need to figure it out pretty quick. Have you uh, been out like on a social level at all? Like just say in the last day and a half, two days or so, because I work from home. So when I moved down to Florida, I was able to keep my job and work remotely. So I already do work from home. And I know a lot of people right now involuntarily are going to be working from home for the foreseeable future. But between that, like I said, I already work from home. And then, in fact, just maybe an hour before we started taping this tonight, I play in a Thursday cornhole league with some buddies of mine. And it's just a fun little thing to get out for a couple hours. You play cornhole, have a couple beers, grab a bite to eat, whatever, and socialize. And it was really weird tonight. Like not a lot of handshakes. People didn't know what to do. Like it was like an awkward handshake or a fist bump or, you know, elbow taps. And some people in some cases didn't want to touch each other at all. It's just, uh, it's definitely going to be an adjustment. And I, I don't know, it just felt really weird. I don't know if you've had any kind of interactions like that. And just because this just became, I mean, this has been going on for a while, but it really broke on Wednesday where things just kind of got out of hand. If you had interactions with others since this, well, not only have I not been out socially in the last couple of days, I don't think I've been out socially in about 15 years, Pat. So <laughs> I, I don't think I'm really the guy, guy to talk to about this. I did go to the grocery store. Um, I did go to the grocery store last week and we stocked up. And then I went today really quick to pick up a couple other things that we had not picked up last week when we were, uh, when we were preparing for things like this. And, uh, I got a really good picture of a guy who came to the store in the middle of a pandemic crisis to make sure he got some barbells. So, uh, <laughs> that was, I that saw was that pretty good. I did. I saw yeah, that on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. He's going to make sure that he's uh he's poke up post-apocalyptically swole. So that'll be fun. You know, what, what, out of this crisis will evolve a bigger, stronger, this dude. 
whoever this guy was. We're going to call him Randy for the purposes of this discussion. Randy's going to be buff as crap <laughs> when he's done with this scenario. Uh, but no, I have not been out socially. I don't typically go out socially. I don't think I, uh, this is the most social thing I do, Pat. So you're, this is the social energy that I get a chance to expend right here. Well, I'll tell you what, it's the second most social thing you do because the most social thing you did was last week. And I want to talk about that for a few minutes too. You and your partner, Nick Back, co-hosts of your show, Traveled to Buffalo and we're on WGR Sports Talk Saturday. You did the show with Nick Gary and you were on for like all three hours of the show too. So I got to ask you about that before. We're obviously going to be talking tons of Buffalo Bills. You're going to be playing Brandon Bean. You're going to put the offseason together. But before we get to that, I do got to ask you because I've never been to WGR and I think that's really cool. It tells a lot about both you and Nick and how far you guys have evolved in what seems to be a short amount of time. Although in reality, it's not quite been that short amount of time for you guys. but just that whole experience of going to Buffalo, being on the radio, being on the air, being in a radio studio, being on air with Nate live. What was that experience like for you guys? This experience, it it was, it was just the next line in a long line of people who have shown me and Nick an inordinate amount of grace for what we have deserved. And it's really a testament to the Buffalo media in general that they have welcomed us like they did because they don't have to in no part of their contractual obligation to their job. Does it say they have to even give us the time of day and the fact that they chose to do so anyway, not just Nate, Nate was the, the most recent in a line of lots of beat reporters and journalists and people who are nationally recognized, who gave us the time of day because they felt that they were reaching out to us and they did us a favor by doing that and having us up and helping us broaden our platform. And it just really speaks to, to Buffalo in general, because I've lived all over the country folks like this. It is not like this everywhere. The media is not like this everywhere. I, I tell people this, I bang the table as much as I possibly can. I've lived in lots of major media markets and the, the sports media is not like this everywhere else. And one of the ways is incompetency, but the other way is in grace. And the fact that they're willing to, you know, DM me, Hey, you know, I, I, I saw this and I thought you might really like it. Maybe you could talk about it. Or the fact that they're willing to sit down and have a conversation with me over some beef on WEC or have me on their radio show. They're not required to do any of this. So it was, it's humbling to me that they would even take the time and it's really a testament to them much more so than it is any accomplishment that I personally could have achieved. But Nate, as per expected was an unbelievably gracious host and the three hours flew by because it has a tendency to do that when you have such good energy in the room and you have good thoughts going back and forth and it just flew by and we didn't get to 60% of the stuff that I had prepped notes for before I went up there just because the energy was good. And we were bouncing back and forth. We took a caller and we went through these things like this, talked about free agent running backs, things like that. And we, he said it, Nate said it himself on the pod that we recorded immediately after the radio spot. When we went to Kelly's corner, he said, man, we could have filled a six hour spot. And I believe him. We could have filled a six hour show pretty easily with the notes that we had and the discussion we were having. And it was a wonderful experience. Uh, I, I hope we get a chance to do it again. And uh, it, it, it just, it really meant a lot to me, not just to be on there, but it's just the latest in a line of, of people who have shown me and Nick 
uh, or Nick and I, excuse me, grammar. My mother would be so, so <laughs> disappointed. The, the people who have shown us that level of grace. Well, look, I'm not just saying this because you're on the podcast. I truly mean it. You guys have earned it. You really have. Well, I really appreciate that, Pat. That's very kind of you. And I, I really enjoy being here. I enjoy being part of this community with you and with so many other talented podcasters, content creators, and media. And it's it's been a blessing from the beginning. And I, I'm just going to hang on tight and see where it takes me. One last thing, too. And they were, I promise you guys, we're going to get in the Bills talk here. You guys went to Kelly's Corner after you went to WGR. Nate joined you. You taped an episode of your podcast there. How was it? I know you had. The beef on whack, I know you had fingers. I know you had wings. I'll tell you what, power rank them. I would go fingers, wings, whack in that order, but none of them are things that I would not get again. It was the consistently high quality of stuff. Weck would be third only because I think that the variance between a really good weck and a really bad weck isn't as significant as something you would get elsewhere. Okay. The wings were very good. The wings were very good, but again, variance in Buffalo, you know, you get some, it's hard to find a really bad wing in Buffalo nowadays because the competition market's so, so significant that if you have a bad wing, you're not going to have wings on the menu for very long because there are plenty of other places people can go and get better wings. And the fingers were just a unique scenario. The fingers are almost uh, a chicken breast in and of themselves that has been chicken fried. So you get chicken fried chicken and even though it was, you know, 25 minutes later after you're done eating them, the the breading is still crispy. The sauce is still good. And the garlic Parmesan fingers were some of the best things I've had. I came home that night not planning on eating dinner because of the massive amount of calories that I had consumed for lunch. And I got home and I, I pulled open to open it for my wife so that she could have a, some of the beef on whack and things like that. And I was like, I'm, I think I'm going to take this garlic parm finger again. Just... You don't want this, do you? No, you don't want this. No, it, I'll take it. It's fine. It's fine. I'll, I'll just take it off your hands for you. And so it was good enough that I dove back in even when I didn't have an intention to do. Huh. You know, it's kind of funny. You learn something new every day because I've been to Kelly's Corner probably 15, 20 times, maybe more, and I've never had the fingers. I didn't know that they were any good. I never heard about them before. I'm going to have to try those now. I'm going to have to go back to Buffalo just for those. Do it. All right. So let's stop dicking around here. <laughs> let's get into why, why I got you on the podcast. You're the GM. You are Brandon Bean right now. That's the exercise that we're going to do today. And I want to lay out some ground rules for people listening. This is what I gave Bruce to work with. Uh, we're not doing any trades. And because of the way we're doing the draft, you can't trade draft picks because the software that I'm using, although I didn't know until after, if I would have got the premium version, we could have done trades, but for this version, we can't. So we're going to do four rounds of a draft and I'm simulating those. So you've had time to prepare as you should as a GM for who you want to resign, who you want to let go, who you want to sign in free agency, what extensions you might want to give a couple of veterans, however way you want to work it out. But when it gets to the draft, Bruce does not know who he's drafting because he doesn't know who's going to be available right now. So aside from that, again, Bruce Nolan is now the Buffalo Bills GM. He's in complete control of this team. But before we do that, I also want to point out, again, we are taping this later into Thursday night. And two, not one, two things happen regarding the Bills, which you may, and by the way, for anyone listening, as you hear this from Bruce, I'm hearing it for the first time. I literally have no idea whatsoever what Bruce has come up with in terms of a team and a plan. But the two things that happen on Thursday that I got to point out is 
The Bills restructured tight end Tyler Croft's contract. So he's going to be making $4 million in 2020. I think 3.4, that's guaranteed. Long story short, the team saves about 800000 against the cap and like $1.6 in cash. So that's one thing. Tyler Croft is back. He's now back on a one-year deal. And then the bigger news, which may affect what you've done with your offseason plan, is the Bills re-signed guard Quinn in Spain to a three-year contract worth $15 million. Again, he didn't even take a peek into free agency, which that kind of surprised me. So those are the news items of the day before we get going. Before we actually get started and I get your uh, your offseason blueprint, are you a little surprised that Quinn in Spain signed without even testing the market? Three years, $15 million. Wow, you know, that's going to set him up for life. I feel like that kind of contract, I'm surprised he didn't test the market. Are you surprised? that the Bills did this, that they got it done right now? I'm not overly shocked that they got it done, mostly because of just the tenor that came out of Quentin Spain and just his general vibe throughout this entire offseason. He seemed pretty confident. He, you know, he was talking about it at the end of the season. He said, you know, yeah, I told my agent, get it done. Oh, okay. Well, that, that's a strong statement from him. And when you think about that, it was just simply a matter of, you know, Quentin Spain was an undrafted play- player, and he's very proud of that. I mean, his, t- his t- handle on Twitter is Mr. Undrafted. And he kind of made it until the third tier of free agency last year. And really, it, it seems to me like there was a marriage between what the player thought they were and what the player wanted and what the Bills thought they were and what the Bills wanted. And really, that's what free agency is about. It's about finding agreement between what the player and their representation want and think the player is And then that has to marry with what the team thinks they are, the player being that, and then what the team wants. And there happened to be a marriage here because I think really Quentin Spain wanted some respect and he wanted some security. You know, Mr. Undrafted, he wears it like a badge of honor. And, you know, I think that he probably expected a better market last year. I don't think it would be shocking if he expected a better market last year. And he didn't get it, but he got a one-year deal. And the team came to him and, and said, hey, you know, we want to get something done. He went to his agent and said, yeah, get something done. He wanted security. He wanted those things that come with that. And when Brandon Bean looks you in the face and says, listen, you're a reasonable starting guard. You don't have to bounce around this league as a one-year rental player forever. You're a reasonable starting guard in this league. We're going to make you an offer that's a reasonable starting guard salary. And apparently he and his agent think, you know what? Yeah, I am a reasonable starting guard. And so they got it done. If he would have thought to himself, no, I'm an elite starting guard, take your $5 million a year and go elsewhere, then there wouldn't have been a marriage. But if that was the case, I think we would have seen different tenor from him coming up to this year. We would have seen maybe a little bit more I don't know, bombastic, perhaps vernacular mm-hmm. coming from him and his, his agent on social media or something like that. If he would have been shooting for elite guard money and So there was a marriage. There was an agreement there on, here's what I think I am. And the Bills were like, yeah, we think you're that too. We think you're a reasonable starting guard. We want to pay you like one. He's like, okay. And it got done. Out of all the three bigger names in this unrestricted free agent class for the Bills, that being Shaq Lawson, Jordan Phillips, Quentin Spain, I think Spain was probably always the highest likelihood of re-signing just based on the tenor. Okay. Now, when you, you just mentioned Shaq Lawson, I want to say as we get started too, that, I mean, literally what, 15 minutes before we started taping this podcast, he put out a tweet with a picture of him in a Bills uniform and an Instagram picture with him in a Bills uniform. And instantly many people, including myself, figure that he's about to resign and that it's imminent. The only thing I'm going to say 
I don't want to know if you necessarily call it news. I feel very confident in saying that Shaq Lawson still intends on testing the market. So I'm just going to leave it at that, not add anything else to it. When people are hearing this on Friday morning or Friday afternoon, whenever, I'll be very surprised if Shaq Lawson has re-signed with the team by then. Maybe he still does, but I'd be very surprised if it happens before any time mid-Friday or whatever. So on that note, I'm going to run down the Bills' unrestricted free agents, and we'll kick it off with who you're going to bring back. Again, this is Bruce Nolan, who's now the general manager of the Buffalo Bills, and I'm gonna just going to run them off. You got Shaq Lawson. You got Jordan Phillips. You got Kevin Johnson. You got Frank Gore. You got Adrian Waddle. You got Julian Stanford. You got Maurice Alexander, Kurt Coleman, Corey Leggett, Sonoris Perry, and Dean Marlowe. That's every unrestricted free agent, well, imminent unrestricted free agent, Buffalo Bill as of right now. So take it over. First and foremost, who are you going to re-sign? I am re-signing with Adrian Waddle. One year, two million. Okay. Running it back with Adrian Waddle. I think he provides valuable swing tackle, tackle depth. I think that with Ty Insecki's inability to hold up at 16 games at right tackle. Now we understand that Cody Ford is probably going to play at right tackle this year with the re-signing of Quentin Spain mm-hmm. and with the, and with the re-signing well, the option that was accepted on Spencer Long's contract. It looks really, really likely that Cody Ford's your right tackle, but I don't think you can count on Inseki being your only source of swing ability, given the fact that his, he's a little bit older and he's in this last year of his contract. It was a two year deal. And In addition, there are some concerns about how well he can hold up. I don't feel comfortable having that only be the case at backup tackle. I'm bringing back Ladrian Waddle. In addition, I'm bringing back Dean Marlowe. Dean Marlowe is someone who played well when given an opportunity last year. He he is Sean McDermott's essentially right-hand man. It's it's smash glass in case of emergency, and that glass is Dean Marlowe. Whenever something happens in Sean McDermott's defensive backfield and Dean Marlowe's not on his team, I'm convinced he has a red bat phone that he picks up, and it goes directly to Dean Marlowe through his Doritos bag on the couch. <laughs> but I don't think Dean Marlowe needs to be regu- regulated to just that, relegated to just that. I think that Dean Marlowe needs to be a player who can come into the year knowing that he's got a shot to make this team. And if we go into next year and our safeties are Poyer, Micah Hyde, Jaquan Johnson, Dean Marlowe, I'm good with that. That means I'm not bringing back Kurt Coleman. In addition, I'm bringing back Julian Stanford. Linebacker depth is a sneaky need for this team, especially with Lorenzo Alexander walking and you don't necessarily know who's going to step up to fill that spot. If you fill from within, if it's Corey Thompson, if it's Tyrell Dotson, then that hurts your depth. So I want to make sure I bring back Julian Stanford. In addition, I want to bring Kevin Johnson back. I understand we just signed Josh Norman. I get that. As far as I'm concerned, CB2 is still a need. For me personally, the re-signing of Josh Norman does basically nothing to address the fact that we have a CB2 need. Thank I'm God. Absolutely not, I'm absolutely not counting on that. Now, could he come in and recapture form? Sure, absolutely you could. But if you want to count on that for CB2, as far as I'm concerned, you go into the draft with that being a significant need. And I'm not interested in going into the draft with a glaring need that obvious. And as far as I'm concerned, if your CBs are Tredavious White on one side, Josh Norman on the other, as far as outside boundary corners, and then Levi Wallace, CB2 is now a glaring need. And I'm not interested in that. So Kevin Johnson signed for one year, three million last year. Let's give him two and ten. 
Let's give him a Quentin Spain contract. Two years, 10 million APY. Okay. So he gets a nice bump. He's proven he can stay healthy. Just like Quentin Spain signed that one-year prove-it deal and proved it, Kevin Johnson signed a one-year prove-it deal and proved it. So he gets a nice bump in salary. He gets a little bit more security. The team still gets some competition at CB and doesn't have to walk into the draft with that being a need. Those are the people I'm re-signing. Shaq Lawson walks. Not because I want him to walk. Because I think he's going to get an offer that's going to blow the doors off of him. I think that there is enough smoke around that. There was an NFL.com article not too long ago about Shaq Lawson potentially being in the 10 to $12 million a year kind of category. And this is where we talked about the marriage between the team and the representation. I think, now I'm Brandon Bean here, okay? So I think that Shaq Lawson is a good player. And I think he's a really good rotational defensive end who plays the run well, contains well on the backside. I think he's got great instincts for a 4-3 defensive end. I think he showed that against the Ravens. I think ideally you'd love to have him in there to be able to move laterally against option teams. I think he's a great piece. I don't think he's a lead pass rusher. I don't think he'll ever be an elite pass rusher, but I think he's shown some promise there and he's still got slightly less than half the snaps last year. That's what I think he is. If Shaq Lawson thinks he's a 70%, 80% snap defensive lineman who can be a 12 sack a year guy, if you just gave him more snaps, then our marriage is not going to work out because he thinks he's something that I don't think he is. And I think that's what's going to happen. Not because I don't want to resign Shaq, but in this scenario that I play through in my head, I go to him and I say four years, 30 million, roughly 7.6 APY. And he goes, eh, eh, no, that's not what I am. I'm a four year, 44 million guy. I'm a four year, 42 million dollar guy. And we go our separate ways because there's a disagreement between what I think he is and what he thinks he is. What about Jordan Phillips? What's your reason for not resigning him? Same thing, money? Just copy and paste that over. Yeah, that's I think that I think that uh, what I think Jordan Phillips is is I think Jordan Phillips is a, is a is a relatively decent situational third down pass rusher who happened to have an absolutely statistically anomaly yeah uh, statistical anomaly of a year mm-hmm. last year that I don't think will be replicated. So I would pay him what we paid him before. We paid him one year four million four and a half million dollars a year this year. I'd resign him for two years nine million, but I don't think that's what he wants. I think he wants, you know, reasonable defensive tackle money. He calls himself a top three defensive tackle. So because of that, I don't think there's going to be marriage there. Again, not because I don't want to resign Jordan Phillips, because I don't want to resign him to what I think he will get and what I think he thinks he is. That's very fair. So you have, if if we're going to count Quinn in Spain, and we are, he's resigned technically before you even took control of this roster. So that's five free agents that are coming back then. Uh, Adrian Waddle, Dean Marlowe, Stanford, and Kevin Johnson. Of those, I'm most surprised yet completely agree with you about Kevin Johnson. I think the, the consensus is that when Josh Norman signed with the Bills, that that meant goodbye to Kevin Johnson. Clearly, you don't feel that way. And I hope you're right, by the way, because I agree with you totally. I don't like the scenario where it would be Josh Norman comp- uh, competing with Levi Wallace for the CB2 job. I don't like that scenario whatsoever. I like Kevin Johnson. I thought he played pretty well last year. So two years, 10 million, nice bump in salary. I'd love to see him back. And basically what you're saying too, then is you're bringing back the Adrian Waddle. So essentially knowing now that Spain is re-signed and that 
Cody Ford's probably going to get another look at tackle. You're pretty much saying I'm good with running back the offensive line from last year, right? Very close to the exact off. I do have an offensive lineman I want to add in free agency, but overall, it's it's a depth player. Overall, your four tackles are Dawkins, Inseki, Ford, and Waddle at that point. Does this convince you that Ford is going to be the tackle because they signed Spain, or do you think maybe there's a part of you that says maybe Feliciano's not quite as good as he was last year, and maybe Cody Ford could still play guard and possibly push Feliciano for a starting job? Are you pretty sure that he's going to be locked in to tackle now because of this move? Obviously, we'll see what Brandon Bean decides to do. My initial opinion of this is that they're going to give Cody Ford another year, not platooning with Inseki to prove that he's a right tackle. If he doesn't prove he's a right tackle, he becomes a built-in replacement for John Feliciano, whose contract expires at the end of this year. So next year, if Ford hasn't lived up to billing, then he can take literally one step over to his left and fill in for Feliciano and the Bills have the ability to backfill at that point at tackle. If they brought Ladrian Waddle back for a two-year contract, for example, then that would give them the ability to move forward over and plug Waddle in at right tackle next year. I think they're going to give him an opportunity to fail at right tackle, and I don't think he has yet. But this is one of those things, scenarios where we're, we're kind of mixing predictive and analytic, right? Because I don't think the bills are going to resign Kevin Johnson, but I'm in charge here and oh, I yeah. have to decide. And I think that I want to do it. So this is where we have to be very, very clear that this is not necessarily me predicting they're going to do it. This is what I would do. Absolutely. This is you running the team. This is not, let's take a stab at what we think Brandon Bean's going to do. You're running this team right now. 100%. All these calls are yours, not Brandon Bean's. Before we get into free agency, are there any veterans that are currently on this team that you're looking to cut? Now, I would think, and I don't know, again, this is news. As you say these guys' names, this is news to me, just like everyone listening. I would have thought that maybe Tyler Croft would have been on a potential cut list with his cap number, but dude, after this restructure, pretty much they're guaranteeing that he's going to be back next year with Buffalo. Are there any veterans on this team that you're looking to get rid of before we get into free agency? I would take a look at discussing Trent Murphy. And I would discuss with him the type of restructure that Star Latulale got and the type of restructure that Tyler Croft got, which is essentially this. Listen, Trent, right now you have a very scenario, very significant gap in your scenario with your contract. Your your ability to save us money, significant money, you know, eight, nine million dollars in cap room, and leave us only a little over a million in dead cap, that puts you as a cut candidate, Trent. Well, we don't want that and you don't want that either. So if we lower your salary, but we guarantee it for this year, we guarantee you're at least going to get some money out of this year. Otherwise, we might cut you and you might not see that money on the open market. If he decides he's going to accept that offer, then sure, I'm okay. If he decides not to, then we'll go ahead and cut him. In this scenario, he decided not to and I released him. So Trent Murphy's number one on the cut list. The second thing on the cut list was Patrick DeMarco. Not because I don't like Patrick DeMarco. I actually do like Patrick DeMarco. But Brian Dable didn't use a fullback enough at the end for me to justify the cost. I'm, I'm completely okay with picking up another fullback. We're going to talk about that when we get to free agency. But when it comes to a fullback who you know can save you $1.85 million, it's not quite the same. And the situation is not the same as it was when he was signed. You know, when he was signed, this was a different offense with a different coordinator and a different offensive philosophy. And as we've started to see that Josh Allen performs better with more spread concepts, 
those things start to say, okay, well, we're going to use a fullback less and less because it behooves our quarterback to do so. Well, because it behooves our quarterback to do so, we don't really need a, a fullback who's going to cost us $2 million. Okay. Now you're Bruce Nolan, GM, and I'm Patrick Moran, hard-hitting media reporter, and I'm sitting there at a press conference because you're at a press conference because you're accessible. And I'm going to ask you, so you're not re-signing Shaq and you're cutting Trent Murphy. That's a, that's a big hole at defensive end now, isn't it? Going into free agency, I'm sure you're going to address it. What's your plans to address it? I want, you're not going to give me a specific player right now, but if you cut those guys, that would be my first thing. I was like, damn, because my thought would have been, all right, well, he's going to re-sign Shaq and then cut Trent. But no, man, we, uh, we let Shaq walk and we cut Trent Murphy. That's, that's very interesting. We fully expect that there's going to be additions to the defensive line room at some point this offseason. I have every faith possible in Eric Washington, our defensive line coach who we brought over, and Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott to be able to generate the pass rush necessary with the people that we have. However, we do have cap room and we do have the ability to spend some money. We also have a lot of draft picks. It's not the only way necessary to be able to generate a pass rush is by re-signing Shaq or by keeping Trent Murphy. There are other ways to generate pass rush aside from doing just that. We have the assets and we feel comfortable moving forward that we're going to be able to spend the assets to get the production that we need on that side of the ball. You're, you're good at this. <laughs> You'd be a hell of a GM, man. Maybe you should get into a PR. All right. So we're heading into free agency now. and We got three pretty key linemen that are no longer Buffalo Bills. You got Shaq, you got Trent Murphy, and we have also Jordan Phillips, who did have nine and a half sacks this year, anomaly or not. Now we're in free agency. Now is when the real fun begins. What are you doing? Well, before I even look outside the walls of one bill's drive. I'm going to hand out a couple contract extensions to some people okay. in my building. Perfect. The, fir the first being Jordan Poyer. Jordan Poyer gets an additional two years and 24 million onto his contract, bringing his salary in much more in line with some, with some good top 10 safety sort of markets at that point. I like it. We all, we all know that Jordan Poyer has been woefully underpaid. And this is an opportunity for me to show to the locker room that even if you come here and you sign a moderate deal for a moderate amount of years and you outperform that contract, we're going to make it right with you because you outperformed it. We signed you based on what we thought you could be and you surpassed our wildest expectations. And at that point, we're going to reward you. We're going to tack on another two years, 24 million for Jordan Poyer. Okay. That's the one extension you have going into free agency. We got a couple more. What else you got? Deion Dawkins, five years, $75 million, $15 million APY. Deion Dawkins becomes a top seven paid offensive tackle at this point, mostly because that's where the offensive tackle market is going. Deion Dawkins, after a down year in his sophomore season, not only recommitted himself in a significant way to the culture and to the process, but also to his craft. He became a team captain in year three, which I don't think enough people talk about with Deion Dawkins. He became a leader of this team. And when you have a homegrown talent like that, who I think is a better player than the player who got extended just recently with the Arizona Cardinals. And I think if you can get him at 15 million a year, which I think it can be done, then you pull the trigger on that. He's a young player, five years, 75 million might sound like a lot, but left tackle is a premium position. And if I want Josh Allen to continue to develop and I want, God forbid, something happens to Josh Allen, I want somebody else to be able to come in and not be on their butt the entire time. Left tackle is a position I have to lock up. Deion Dawkins gets five years, $75 million for me. 
I love it. And I'll tell you, it's a far cry from just maybe a year or so ago around this time. I remember plenty of talk myself, a lot of guests I had on that, hey, maybe Deion Dawkins should be playing right tackle or, hey, this guy should be slotted in the guard or maybe he shouldn't even start. I mean, he was a second round pick on a rookie contract who played really shitty in 2018. I mean, let's let's be honest here. Now, as a whole entire offensive line, and I'm sure, you know, it's not just Deion Dawkins' fault. The whole line, the offense was just terrible in 2018. But that's a big turnaround. What what a big difference one year can make for a guy like Deion Dawkins, who, by the way, I agree with you. I, I thought he was I thought he was really, really good last year and a captain. So I like that. So are those the only two extensions? We good with that, or do we got anything else? We got one more. What do you got? We got one more. Matt Milano, three years, thirty-six million dollars, thirteen million a year. Now, wow. some of your some of your listeners might be saying, "Oh my gosh, thirteen million a year for for Matt Milano." Shaq Thompson just signed thirteen million a year, and I'd make an argument Milano's a better player. Milano, low key, was the second best player on our defense last year, in my opinion. Yeah, that's how good he was. I I, I think he played better than Tremaine Edmonds last year, and. That's not a knock against Tremaine Edmonds. I just think Milano is criminally underrated. I think we remember the splash plays that go against him. We remember the Deshaun Watson Superman play in the Super Bowl. We remember that. But we don't remember anything else from Matt Milano. And we should. Because in this defense, Sean McDermott's defense emphasizes linebacker play. And if you think we can go off the street and grab somebody and get Matt Milano play out of him... uh, that's okay. I understand that. And I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm not saying that Brandon Bean couldn't find a great player. I'm saying if you swung and missed on it, the defense would take a very, 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 very significant step backwards because in this particular defense, that will linebackers got to flow to the ball and he's got to make sure that he's being aggressive, but not too aggressive. He's not overshooting his gap. There are things that require a, a level of feel and instinct that Milano has from his background playing safety. And I think Matt Milano is the type of player that you need to invest in, right? You never heard a peep out of the guy. He's process AF and you need to resign players like that, especially when you find a gem in the fifth round and you can get all that good value for that many years. You don't want somebody else to reap the benefits of all your hard work and developing that player. Matt Milano is the third person who gets a contract extension from GM Bruce Nolan. Let me circle back to Quinn in Spain for a quick second. Now he resigned with the Bills around dinner time on Thursday. And again, we're taping this late on the Thursday. So you didn't have a choice because it was already a done deal. I should have asked you this earlier. If you were Bruce Owen GM and he wasn't re-signed before we started taping this, was he on your list of players to re-sign? He wasn't because I didn't think he was going to take 5 million a year. Oh, okay. I, I, I thought that Quentin Spain was going to get 7 or 8 million a year and I wasn't interested at that price point. If you would have told me that I could get him for $5 million a year, I would have signed up. Okay, well, you could have. So then you would in that case. For $5 million a year, you Absolutely. would have resigned him. All right, so your emphasis very clearly now is being on maintaining the core players on your team. So you got Jordan Poyer, Deion Dawkins, and Matt Milano locked up. Poyer for two more years, Dawkins for five, and Milano for three. You've re-signed Quinn in Spain at $5 million a year. You've given Kevin Johnson two years and $10 million, which I think will surprise a lot of people pleasantly, I think. And then Stanford and Marlowe and Waddle, three potential role players. So you've locked up a lot of your own players. We're going to cut Trent Murphy and Patrick DeMarco. And again, the two notable players, not back, Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson. Well, Frank Gore's a name, but I really don't think many people were expecting him back to begin with at his age and given how many running backs are out there in the open market, not to mention trade. So that's what we're looking at right now. And we've hit free agency, which by the way, knock on wood, 
still starts next week and not a month from now or whatever. Oh God, I don't even want to think about that. But let's just assume that free agency is starting next week or whenever it starts, I guess, for that matter. Time for you to get back to work. Who's Bruce, who's Bruce Nolan going to ink to new contracts here? The first one's fairly obvious. It's Mario Addison, one year, $4 million, defensive end Carolina Panthers. This is my Trent Murphy replacement. So right now, I essentially have Trent Murphy on a one-year, roughly $9 million contract. Mm-hmm. I'm getting what I think is a better player for under half the cost. This is where the value comes in. Mario Addison, he's 33. He's at the back end of He's at this point, he's probably taken one or two year deals all the way down the line. And he has experience with Eric Washington. He's comfortable here. It's a pretty much, uh, I mean, it's pretty much a slam dunk at this point. I, I can't see a reason why you wouldn't do this on either side. It makes sense from an economic standpoint for Addison. It makes sense for to have him in the defensive line room, especially if you're planning on drafting an edge rusher. It makes sense all the way across the board from a comfort level. Sean McDermott knows him. Mario Addison, one year, $4 million, one of my first signings. Okay. I like that. Second signing, Chris Thompson, Washington, one year, one and a half million dollars. Now you'll notice that both these, both these have been one year deals. And I kind of want to talk about free agents philosophy for a second. So these, the players that I'm willing to pay just the GM Bruce Nolan fall under the following philosophies. Number one, I'm willing to pay players who have been victims of opportunity to moderate multiple year deals. I'll give you some examples of this. Jordan Poyer, John Brown, Ty Secchi, John Feliciano. These are all people who are victims of opportunity, right? They couldn't get a chance to show what they wanted to because they had really good players in front of them. John Brown was an opportunity for a different reason. He had really good players in front of him and he got pigeonholed. Finding players like that is one of the keys to getting good return on your investment in free agency. Finding players who this is where your pro scouting comes into, into really, really significant focus here. If you have a good pro scouting department, they can say, yes, I understand this is what he did, but here's what we think he can do. Now, you don't do that with good players who want to be paid like great players. You do it with unknown players who want to be paid like decent players. That's where you do that. I'm not saying let's do that with someone like Shaq Lawson. This right here, what I'm talking about, is what someone else might make the mistake on with Shaq Lawson. They'll go, hey, I know he only had six and a half sacks. He had some quarterback hits, but he only played 47% of the snaps. Imagine what he could do if he played more. And then they'll play a pay a good player. Shaq Lawson's a good player. They'll pay a good player like a great player. I'm not interested in that, but I am interested in finding victims of opportunity and sign them to moderate multiple year deals. That's the first archetype of player I'm willing to pay. The second is oft injured players to one year prove it deals. This is a Kevin Johnson deal, for example. And I'm okay with this because if they don't recover, no harm, no foul. If they do recover, then you have a chance to re-sign them or you can let them walk, let somebody else give them a big payday, and then you get the comp pick. So if they rehab themselves on your dime, great. There comes the comp pick. If they rehab themselves on your dime and happen to love it there, then you can re-sign them and get that. That's great. But I'm not willing to extend myself for a multiple year, multiple guarantees to a oft injured player. But I'm totally willing to sign oft injured players to one year deals and allow them to rehab themselves at my expense. More so willing to do that. This is where the Chris Thompson deal comes in. He's been hurt almost every single year for the last three years. But 
One and a half million dollars? This is cheaper than the Frank Gore deal. Sign me up. Have him come in and compete with TJ Yeldon. If he doesn't work out, so be it. If he does work out, great. He can go get his payday somewhere else in 2021. We can get a comp pick. Or if he really likes it and wants to stay on as an RB2, we can sign him to a reasonable RB2 contract. That's the second archetype of players I'm willing to pay in free agency. The third archetype of players I'm willing to pay in free agency are established, unsexy veterans to predictable contracts. Frank Gore, Andre Roberts. These are people who know exactly what they are. The market knows exactly what they are. There is no upside left in these players. There is no hidden potential. There is no chance of you paying for something with this player that you're not going to get because everyone's already established what they are. We know exactly what they are. This takes all the risk out of free agency. Now, it also takes all the sexiness out of free agency, but I'm okay with that. Those are the three types of players I'm willing to pay. You can see Mario Addison falls under type number three, an established unsexy veteran to a predictable contract. Chris Thompson falls under archetype number two, an oft injured player to a one year prove it deal. And this is where these things come from. How high are you on Devin Singletary going into year two? Devin Singletary being your starting running back does not prohibit you from winning a Super Bowl. I agree. He's one of my favorite. I, I like him a lot. I think he's going to be really good. You don't have to have an unbelievable running back to win the Super Bowl. You have to have, you don't even have to have a good running back to win the Super Bowl. But there's nothing about Devin Singletary that would prohibit him from being a reasonable starting running back in this league for a while. So as far as I'm concerned, it's not really a gradient for me. It's really just box checked. It's a binary. And for me, I've seen enough. He's a completely reasonable starting running back in this league. Okay. So we got Mario Addison and we got Chris Thompson. What else? Christian Kirksey, linebacker, Cleveland. I've got a chance to see Christian Kirksey quite a bit because, you know, I live in Cleveland and I'm familiar with him. Unbelievable locker room guy. The Bills will love him. He falls under category number two, oft injured players to one year prove it deals. One year, five million dollars for Christian Kirksey. So he gets to come in. He gets to fill the third linebacker spot for a four, three defensive team, which I think is his ideal fit. He gets to rehab his image and hit again when he's still young. He's 27. So he hit again free agency at 28, having rehabbed his image and probably proven that he can stay healthy just like Kevin Johnson did. And then next year he can get a, a good contract from other team who needs a second linebacker instead of a third linebacker. And they're going to pay him probably way more than the bills will. And we can get a comp pick. I'm good with it. One year, $5 million Christian Kirksey. Let's make it happen. All right, so Bruce Nolan GM is very, very clearly using free agency to supplement his roster, not trying to build a team like last year when Brandon Bean went out, obviously because of a very big lack of talent going into free agency last year where he signed all these names. Although to be fair, at that time, a lot of those names weren't sexy picks either, just like some of these guys that uh, you're going with right now. So, all right, we got three. Do you got anyone else? I do. Steven Weatherly, defensive end, Minnesota. He is number one on the list as far as the archetypes. He's a victim of opportunity, and I'm going to sign him to a moderate multiple-year deal. So this is a Poyer, John Brown, Ty Insecki, John Feliciano type deal. This is three years, $12 million for Steven Weatherly. So former seventh-round pick, you know, $4 million a year for, for three years is a, is a really big pay raise for him. Stuck behind Danelle Hunter and Everson Griffin. In Minnesota, you're not going to get 
a lot of snaps at that point. Now he got a reasonable amount of snaps. Like he flashed when he played. I think he's got the frame for he's 6'5", 265. I think he can be a reasonable rotation defensive end. And I still think there's upside in him. And so he was a late pick who came in. He was really toolsy. You know, I mean, think about someone like Daryl Johnson, but three years from now with development, that's the kind of thing we're looking at with Steven Weatherly. And I think he's flashed quite a bit and developed quite a bit. I am absolutely willing to sign him with the idea that he'll be a rotational defensive end in a four, three defense. Okay. What else? You got anything else? How many guys you got all together? So I don't keep saying what else, what else? I got three more. All right. Three more. Who do you got next? Defensive tackle, Malik Collins, Dallas Cowboys. This is my Jordan Phillips replacement. Malik Collins is the player that I think Jordan Phillips actually is as far as statistical production, but I think you can get him at a much lesser price because he hasn't blown up one year like Jordan Phillips did. I've got him down three years and $11 million for Malik Collins. He's a rotational three tech defensive end. And I think he's someone who can come in. The Cowboys already have Tristan Hill on the roster. They brought him in as a second round pick specifically to replace Malik Collins. I don't think Dallas, who is a right now kind of a tire fire with their contracts, they put themselves in a really, really awkward position yeah. by paying. They paid Ezekiel Elliott, but they didn't pay their quarterback or their wide receiver. Really, really, really odd choices there by Dallas. And now they've got players who are going to hit the market like Malik Collins, Byron Jones, who I personally wouldn't think would hit the market. I mean, Byron Jones is a really, really, really good corner. I have Every belief that Byron Jones will become the highest paid corner in the NFL when he hits free agent market. That's how good he is. And on normal years, that's not something that I would say. This kind of brings me to my kind of a nice transition to my fourth type of person that I would pay. I don't have any of them on this list, but the fourth type of person I pay in the free agent period is what I call fluke availabilities. Fluke availabilities at premium positions or needs. These are people who would not normally be on the market, but are only yeah. on the market because something horrible has happened. This is why I was completely fine with the Mario Williams contract. And I would be completely fine with the Bills pursuing Byron Jones because I think that their presence on the market is a fluke availability. Typically, when someone's on the free agent market, it's because there's a reason. There's a reason the team didn't want to lock them up. Well, if the team has made ridiculously poor decisions to the point where they can't get the deals done and that person ends up hitting the market, even though they didn't want them to, that's a unique opportunity. And if that person shows up at a significant need or a significant premium position, Peyton Manning's free agency is like that. Mario Williams is like that. Reggie White was like that. And so these are the, I don't have any of those players on this list because I gave a lot of my money to Poyer, Milano, and Dawkins. And I'm operating under a salary cap here. I'm keeping track of the money as I'm going. Yes, you I are. don't have the money for Byron Jones. I don't have the money for that. Now, I went to Trey Davis White, just so you know. In this scenario, I went to Davis White. I offered him $17 million a year. He turned it down. So that's what happened because he said, listen, if this CBA passes, okay, his representation is talking to me in my head, Bruce Nolan, and he says, listen, if this CBA passes, that fifth-year option is going to guarantee my fourth year. Why on earth would I take that money now? I can wait one year and the number's probably 20 million. Right. There's no reason for, I think we should absolutely re-sign Tredavious White right now, like yesterday. I, I mentioned to you on a podcast close to Thanksgiving that they should walk up to Tredavious White as he's getting dressed at the end of the season, cleaning out his locker and hand him a deal to make him the highest paid corner in the league. You and I talked about that, but I don't think he'll take it right now and he shouldn't take it right now. 
If the CBA passes, we extend his fifth year option as we're probably going to. His fourth year gets guaranteed. And if he waits one year to negotiate, the price tag is going to go up from probably 17 to 18 million to 20 million. So if I were him, I waited out. So in this scenario, I wanted to re-sign Trey, but it didn't make sense for Trey and I couldn't get it done. This, you know, this scenario that we're outlining, this is not just me, you know, throwing stuff at a wall here. It has to be, there has to be a win for both sides for it to happen. And I wanted to re-sign Tredavious, but it didn't work out that way. But with player like Malik Collins, you can get a rotational backup three defensive tackle. You can get him cheaper than what you're going to get Jordan Phillips, and you can still have your defensive line solidified. All right, so we got two more free agents for you to sign. Who's the second last one? Joe Haig, offensive tackle slash offensive guard, Indianapolis. This is the Bobby Johnson signing. Bobby Johnson's familiar with him. I think he has positional flexibility. I think he gives you the ability to make sure that, you know, position flex is really important to this regime, and I'm I'm now Brandon Bean, but we're assuming that my coach is still Sean McDermott. And I know how important that is to him. And I need somebody to come in to make sure that Ike Butker is not the only super flex guy on my team. If I can find somebody else, I can make sure that we get slow because we had a rash of injuries there on the offensive line. You know, we had a scenario where for a while, Mitch Morse was out. Feliciano was moving over. And then we had Lager Waddle with the quad. And, you know, we had some things. I am going to stock that offensive line and make sure that we can go into the year knowing that we've got Ford, Feliciano, Morse, Spencer Long, Quentin Spain, Deion Dawkins, and we've got Joe Haig, we've got Adrian Waddle, we've got Ty Insecki. Those are our eight strong offensive linemen right there. And we can have Joe Haig and Ike Bucker go back and forth about it for that last spot as far as the eighth offensive lineman that's so important when you have position flex. And it's somebody we already know. It's somebody Bobby Johnson knows. It's somebody with the position flex. He's still young. Two years, two years, $5 million. Let's get it done. Two years, $5 million. All right, last one up, man. This is your last free agent. Who's it going to be? Landon Roberts, fullback slash linebacker, New England Patriots. Wow. So, Landon Roberts is a freak, like a freakity freak, freak, freak. Like, runs in the four fours kind of freak. Yeah. And he came out as a linebacker. He only played fullback out of necessity. I am signing him as a linebacker, okay, because he's going to want an opportunity to compete for some of this linebacker depth. I mentioned to you that if Kirksey comes in, he's your, probably your Sam at that point. Then you have Corey Thompson, Tyrell Dodson. That's still a problem. Corey Thompson and Tyrell Dodson as your only backup linebackers is still an issue. And I don't want to go into the draft with that being an issue. So I'm going to sign him as a linebacker. He and his representation will very likely would prefer to be signed as a linebacker. Linebackers get paid more than fullbacks do. But in a pinch, I can use him as a fullback. And if I'm only going to use a fullback offensively sparingly, then I'm okay having a guy who's a in a pinch fullback rather than a full-time fullback. He's a demon on special teams. He can give me more versatility that I can get from Pat DeMarco. Three years, four and a half million dollars. Let's get it done. Three years, four and a half million. And that'll end free agency. All right, so I'm looking this over. And again, I'm learning these guys literally as they're coming out of your mouth, just like everyone listening. I look at that list and Kirksey would be a starter. As you said, Weatherly would get a lot of snaps. If not, potentially at least would be a starter. Not a very sexy free agent class. And that's not a criticism, by the way. So now again, you're Bruce Olin GM. 
free agency's over. We're leading into the draft. You know, the GM's going to get up there a couple press conferences before the draft. I feel like the fact that the Bills have been in the playoffs now two times in three years has bought a lot of good faith with this regime because if this was a team that continuously was losing, like say the Sabres are right now, and you look at that free agency class, I think a lot of fans would hate it. But they also got to keep in mind that you took the core of your money and you invested it in the players, your best players that are already on the team. Again, Poyer, Dawkins, and Milano. Those are those are actually your three biggest re- you know signings of this offseason, not any new players. You truly supplemented that. Do you think if you're the GM right now, would you be bracing yourself from for criticism from media and fans based on your own free agency class going into this draft? I do think there might be some discussion with them. They say, it also some Bruce, you said that you wanted to get touchdown makers. You said you wanted to go out and acquire people who could make it easier on Josh Allen. I don't see any of those players. Tell me, tell me what the thought is there. And to that, I would respond. You know, I looked over the, the wide receiver class. We talked to some guys. There really wasn't a value there that we really felt good about. We feel really good about John Brown and Cole Beasley. We're really looking for someone to come in and compete at that top level, the first, second, third string wide receiver. It's not necessarily let's go out and land the biggest possible fish we can and come in and usurp all the work that those people have been doing here in this building. But we really want to get someone to come in and contribute there. And we weren't able to find the right value, the right match for the good opportunity. Cause you know, it's got to make sense for that player too. And if that player comes in and they say, you know, listen, what you're selling is not necessarily what I'm buying. Then it's not going to work. And we don't want to you know, bring people here against their will by any means, but it's one of those scenarios where what we were looking for wasn't necessarily what they were looking for. But As I've said before, there is a second tier of free agency that happens after the draft. There's the people who will be cut. We're always looking to improve this team. This is by no means the end of our offseason. We still have the draft. We still have re-signs. We have trades. There's other things we can do to supplement this team. I would not say by any means that we're done at that position. Yeah. Headlines would read mock drafts. Every mock draft in the world is going to have you taking a receiver at 22, and they would be talking about that and probably defensive ends. So we're at that point now where we're going to the draft. And again, you don't get the opportunity. You've had an opportunity to do homework, pick your players that you want, sign them the contracts because you've been working within the parameters of a salary cap. But now we're at the draft here and I'm doing this in real time. So the first 21 picks are going to be simulated. And again, the one thing that's probably a disadvantage to you that I, knowing you the way I do, you'd probably make that pick at 22, but then you probably would be moving up and down the board after. The one thing that sucks about this exercise is you're going to have to keep the Bills' first four picks as they, as they are right now. So having said that, let's, uh, I'll run through, I'm not going to name every player, but I know wide receivers at least going to be a position that you're going to be interested. So I'm running through these right now, and I'll tell you what wide receivers are going to be off the board. I just simulated it right now. The Bills are on the clock, and I'm looking at the first 21 picks. I could tell you that CeeDee Lamb went eighth to the Cardinals, and let's see, Henry Ruggs went 12th. To the Raiders and Jerry Judy went 13th to the Colts. Uh, let's see if there's any other receivers here. And believe it or not, those are the only three receivers. So you're looking at a board right now where the only the top three receivers are gone. Are there any other positions besides receiver that you would want to know if this guy's available or not? Sure. Uh, tell me what the edge class looks like. The edge class. Let's see here. Jason went fourth overall that's not obviously chase young one second too so he'd be gone both of them are gone um i believe that would be it so at the top edge people and by the way i'm using the draftnetwork.com. so going by their board the top three 
defensive ends on there would be AJS Benisa, Couture Gross Matos, and Zach Bond. Those are the top three defensive ends that are on the board right now. If there's anyone else you need to know, I'll let you know. But yeah, so two defensive ends have went in the top 21 and three receivers. Tell me who what the offensive tackles are available. Offensive tackles. Hold on one second here. Again, we're doing this in real time. The top ones available is Andrew Thomas, Josh Jones, Lucas Niang, and Austin Jackson. We're taking Andrew Thomas. Whoa. I recognize, I recognize that I just re-signed Deion Dawkins and I have Cody Ford. Andrew Thomas is too good of a player at 22 for me to pass up. I fully recognize that it's not filling a need at 22. He's the best player on the board. It's not close in my opinion. I think he's a top 12 player in this draft. I understand that I could take Yeter Gross Matos, who I have, I think, is a first-round talent. You know, I could take a wide receiver. I could take Jalen Rager. I could take Justin Jefferson. These are all players I have. Um, You know, with corners, I I, I can look at the corner class and see that. But Andrew Thomas is clearly the best player on the board at this point. I'm taking Andrew Thomas. Okay. Now, this would make for interesting reaction like even doing this podcast right now as you said that name i'm like whoa can you imagine and again you're not a bills fan you are bruce nolan the general manager of the buffalo bills and it's your job to put out the best team possible so you're making decisions based for your team not based for the fans having said that can you imagine what the reaction is going to be because everybody in the world is thinking all right they're taking a receiver at 22 or maybe they might take a defensive end but taking an offensive tackle at 16 that's going to be shocking to most, if not all fans, right? Yeah, ideally in this scenario, if Andrew Thomas is on the board at 22, I'm trading down. That's what I would absolutely do because someone will come up to 22 to get a tackle. This is a great tackle class, but having Andrew Thomas still on the board at 22, someone will call me and I will trade out of the spot and not take him. But in this this particular exercise that we're talking about, I am forced to take a player at 22 and he's clearly the best player on the board. You know, it's, it's funny. I just had a conversation not long before we started taping with uh, my buddy, Tone Pox, and he was kind of reiterating that he wasn't happy with the, with the Spain, Quinn and Spain re-signing. It's not that he wasn't happy that Spain is back. His problem was he's not sold on Cody Ford being an offensive tackle, and he goes, I really hope this doesn't deter the Bills from doing something. So if Bruce Nolan is the general manager of the Buffalo Bills, Tone Pox, it definitely didn't deter him from anything. So anyway, okay, so now we've arrived at round two, pick 54. You, um, do you want me to start with the wide receivers? Uh, tell me who the wide receivers are. Tell me who the edges are. Tell me who the corners are. Okay, the best wide receivers, and I'm just going on the board. If there's anyone, I'm um, going by ranking. So if there's anyone that I don't mention or you need to know, let me know. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones is out there. Brandon Ayak is out there. Van Jefferson from Florida is out there. KJ Hill, Brian Edwards. Courtney Davis and Chase Claypool. Those are the top receivers per draft network on the board. You said edge as well. Yep. Edge. We got Curtis Weaver from Boise state. We got Julian Aquare. I I pronounced that wrong. I know I did. Joshua UCHA. Uke. Uke. I got it. I don't know these defensive ends. The defensive end from Michigan. Jesus Christ here. Jonathan Greenard from Florida and Daryl Taylor from, uh, Tennessee. Those are the top defensive ends on the board per their rankings. Anyway, I'm taking Donovan Peoples Jones. Why? You know what? <sighs> Screw it. I'm taking Curtis Weaver. 
I changed my mind at the last second there. They're really, really closely ranked on my board. I'm taking Curtis Weaver because I think the edge class is going to fall off an absolute cliff after this pick. And I think I can pick up a wide receiver next round. So I'm taking Curtis Weaver defensive end Boise State. I need somebody younger to develop behind Weatherly and behind Trent Murphy. I'm sorry, not Trent Murphy, Jerry Hughes, because I cut Trent. I need a younger body in there. I need a developmental guy. I like Curtis Weaver. He actually tested a lot better than a lot of people thought he was going to, but I really liked his film. I think he's got a little bit of versatility. His lateral agility, his technical ability, I really like it. He was very, very productive in the Mountain West Conference. He was very, very productive at Boise State. You can you can see that there is it's a unique body type for sure because he was, you know, much heavier and he lost a bunch of weight. So there's kind of a weird body that it doesn't necessarily look like you would expect a, your favorite defensive end to look, but you can't argue with the production. You can't argue with the lateral agility. You can't argue with the testing. He checks all the boxes. I'm taking Curtis Weaver. I'll tell you what, you're the expert. I'm the host. I'd be lying to you if I said I knew much at all about Curtis Weaver. I'll tell you this though, the position I do like an edge guy going with one of the first two picks, especially in the scenario where Shaq walks, Trent Murphy gets cut. A defensive end in the first two rounds, I don't think he's going to draw much criticism whatsoever. Now we're in round three here, and I'm thinking at this point, you definitely are going to be taking a receiver. The best ones available, KJ Hill, Ryan Edwards, Courtney Davis, Chase Claypool, Gabriel Davis, Colin Johnson, Tyler Johnson, Michael Pittman Jr., for the rankings, those are all the guys in the top 140 anyway. And the Bills are at pick 86. Give me Michael Pittman Jr. here in the third. Michael Pittman Jr. All right, tell me a little bit about him. I like Michael Pittman Jr. I think that when, when you look at the the big receivers in this class, you know, you look at Claypool, Brian Edwards is a little larger. You look at Michael Pittman. I think he's got enough tools there where he can be more than just a big guy, right? I think that... The long speed is better than people think it is, at least on tape it is. And, you know, the drops are almost non-existent with Pittman. He's got reliable hands. I understand it was Pac-12, but as far as you rank the big guys, I prefer Pittman to Claypool, and that was the decision I had to make here, and I went with it. All right, we're getting ready to, uh, it's simulating right now to go to the last pick here, which is going to be pick 128 for the Bills. You know, it's kind of unfair at this point because you don't have the benefit of having the big board in front of you. So you kind of, you know, reach it without preparation here. But we've taken an offensive tackle. We've taken a wide receiver and a defensive end. Well, defensive end and then a wide receiver if you want to keep it in order. Those have been our first three picks. Is there any position out there specifically that interests you? Now, I would imagine, now before that, I would say this too again, and this is where it's kind of unfair to you. You probably would just want to take the best player available regardless of position. You're not going to take a tight end because you might think you need a tight end if there's a, another wide receiver that you might like more than that guy as a, as a player. But for the purpose of this exercise, you're kind of stuck doing it the way we are. So what, what, right. do you, what would you be looking at? Show me the corners and show me the wide receivers. Wide receivers. Still got Isaiah Hodgkins, Quintez Cephas, Antonio Ganey-Golden, Tartle Cleveland, Lynn Bowden, Juwan Jennings, Austin Mack, Aaron Parker. Those are the top ones available. Um, what else did you want? Corners. All right. Get to them. Um, Trajan Bandy, Harrison Hand, Isang Basie, Miles Bryant, Lamar Jackson, Neville Clark, Dane Jackson, Josiah Scott. Those are the top corners available. Okay. How about interior defensive linemen? 
Period offensive linemen. McTelvin Agum, Khalil Davis, Tyler Clark, Manito Jones, James Lynch, Rakan Williams, Robert Landers. I think I can get Khalil Davis or McTelvin Agim. I think I can get them the next round. I'm taking Harrison Hand cornerback here. I think I need somebody younger. Kevin Johnson was a great, a great story here. And the fact that he was able to kind of resurrect his career after being oft injured. He got a great contract here. That's wonderful. If he regresses, I don't want it to be Josh Norman. For the purposes of this, this exercise, I'm almost assuming Josh Norman did, doesn't exist. That's how, mm-hmm. that's how pessimistic I am about him returning to form, is that I don't feel good enough to shy away from taking Harrison Hand in the fourth round because of that. So I'm taking Harrison hand. He's got the mentality. I think Sean McDermott loves in his corners. And I think he, he's had very limited opportunity to play against top competition. So I think having really the, the opportunity to develop here behind a, a fairly experienced defensive backfield here. I mean, this is a good place to come into and learn at this point in a young corners career. And I'm going to take Harrison hand there in the fourth round. I'll tell you, of all the things we've done, or I should say you've done that I agree with the most on my podcast, just a couple days ago, I kind of got into it a little bit when it came to Josh Norman, because one thing I don't like is the term low risk, but you did make this a low risk signing. I'm talking about Josh Norman, because to me, if you were to sign Josh Norman and don't do anything else, like you don't sign, you don't resign Kevin Johnson and you don't take a cornerback with one of the first three or four picks of your draft. And he does flame out, which let's face it, that's a real possibility. And you're stuck again with Levi Wallace. To me, that is a risk because you didn't use any other resources, whether it's free agency or the draft, to go out and get a corner to compete for a starting spot. To me, that is, that's not low risk. To me, that is a risk. I don't care about the one-year contract. That might be no risk. But the move as a whole, to me, it is a risk unless you address it in other ways beyond that, which you did. So then it does become a low-risk move with Josh Norman. And I no longer had that problem. Do you agree with that? You know what I mean? I don't like when yeah, people say I that. No risk. Do. Yeah. I mean, how much, how much you should worry about something is a really a math discussion. It is the probability of that happening multiplied by the impact of that happening. That's how much you should worry about. It's an equation. Really. When you think about it, we're, we're taking human emotion and we're, we're, we're forcing it into equations, but it's true. The probability of something happened multiplied by the impact of that happening equals the amount of concern you should have. So, if the probability of Josh Norman falling flat on his face and not recapturing any sort of reasonable form is decent, but the impact of that happening is minimal, then I don't need to worry about it. But right now, as it stands right now with this roster before anything has been done, if that possibility is reasonable, it's a reasonable possibility that Josh Norman is just washed. That's a possibility, a reasonable possibility. And if that were to happen, if that ends up being the case, we have a old unathletic cornerback and a young unathletic cornerback who are going to receive the majority of the targets opposite of Tredavious white. Yeah, that's bad. Now, if we can minimize the impact, like you just talked about, then the fact that it's a high probability or reasonable probability of happening means I can worry about it less because I'm taking the second of those two functions in the formula. The first being how likely is it for Josh Norman to not regain his form. The second being, if he were to have that happen, how badly will that hurt? 
right? If we can take the second part of that and pull it all the way back by re-signing Kevin Johnson and drafting Harrison Hand, then it become, that becomes a low-risk move. Now it's a low-risk move. Now it's not something I need to worry about. But right now, it is something I need to worry about. Let's recap the Bruce Nolan Buffalo Bills offseason. So the free agents that you ended up bringing back, Adrian Waddle, Dean Marlowe, Julian Stanford, Kevin Johnson, and we did bring back Quentin Spain because he agreed to the same contract that ultimately he did in, in actual real life with the Bills. So that's who you brought back. Notable guys that you let walk were Shaq Lawson, Jordan Phillips, and at least by name anyway, Frank Gore as well. In terms of cuts, we cut Trent Murphy and Patrick DeMarco. In terms of players that we extended going into free agency, we gave Jordan Poyer a two-year, $24 million extension. We gave Deion Dawkins five years, $75 million, which make him, that makes him a top seven paid offensive tackle in the league. And we also gave Matt Milano three years at $36 million. In terms of free agency, we signed defensive end Mario Addison for Carolina, one year, $4 million. Running back Chris Thompson, one year, $1.5 million. Linebacker Christian Kirksey, who, by the way, I think that's a player that if the Bills could get him, that'd be a great get. One year, $5 million. Steven Weatherly, defensive end from Minnesota, three years and $12 million. Who's your big, by the way, that's your biggest free agent investment out there. Defensive tackle Malik Collins from Dallas, three years, $11 million. Joe Haig from Indianapolis, an offensive lineman, two years at $5 million. And then Alana Roberts, linebacker slash fullback. Uh, what did we give him? Three years, four million. I think that's what we three did. years, four and a half million. Three years, four and a half million. That's what we gave him. And then the last thing is the draft. Four picks. First round, we got offensive tackle Andrew Thomas from Georgia. Second round, we took Kurt Curtis Weaver, defensive end from Boise State. In the third round, we got our wide receiver, Michael Pittman Jr., wide receiver from USC. And then in the fourth round, we got some cornerback depth with Harrison Hand from Temple. I like it. Last couple of questions here, and then I'm going to let you go. What do you think fan reaction would be to the Bruce Nolan offseason? And again, it's not about pleasing the fans. It's about building the best team that you think for the organization. But put yourself in a fan hat for a second here. When it's all said and done, this draft's over. What would you think the fan reaction would be to it? I think it would be overall very negative. I think not having an extremely flashy external free agent coming in. I mean, there are plenty of people who still have their heights set on sights set on Amari Cooper or Jadavian Clowney or trading for Yannick Ngakwe. I, I think there's a lot of people out there who'd be very negative. I think drafting Andrew Thomas would be very negative. Now, to be fair, I clarified this. Now, in this particular scenario, if Andrew Thomas is there at 22, the phone will ring and I will trade down yeah. and I will pick up some picks here, but I can't for the purposes of this. So I took the best player on the board. And the best player on the board is Andrew Thomas. I desperately think there are plenty, there are plenty of fans out there who think that the, if the only way I addressed wide receiver, this is going to be the big point of contention for them is yeah. the only addressing you did to wide receiver was a third round pick. That's it. That's, that's all you did was you added a third round wide receiver. That's all. That's all you did. And to my, my answer would be, did you want me to take Denzel Mims over Andrew Thomas? And they'll say yes. And I'll say, okay, well then we disagree on value. And the second one, well, did you want me to take Donovan Peoples Jones over Curtis Weaver? And the answer is, well, I almost did take Donovan Peoples Jones off Curtis Weaver. I changed my mind. At the you last wrote it out because, in pencil. Yeah, right. I changed my mind at the last second because I felt fairly strongly that either Claypool or Pittman would be there in the third. 
and I could get that, but I knew for a fact Weaver was going to be there. And the only real third, fourth, fifth, you know, you don't get a lot of edge rushers in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round who really ever materialize into anything. And that's a problem. This is going to be the last question here. What do you think the front office expectation should be coming into this season? You just built, continue to build this team during the off season. Do you feel like the expectation inside the doors at one Bills drive, not on Bills Twitter, not Bills Mafia, but your organization that you're the general manager of, is that expectation to get to the playoffs this year again and do some damage this time, not one and done? Or do you think that the expectation, the realistic expectation is that my Buffalo Bills can realistically get to the Super Bowl this year. This could be a Super Bowl team. It's all going to come down to Josh Allen. If Josh Allen takes a step from 19 to 20, equivalent to his 18 to 19, then we got something. We got something that could make some noise in the playoffs. I'm not predicting a Super Bowl run by any means, but if Josh Allen doesn't get any better than what he is right now, I don't think we can make the Super Bowl. I don't think you can make the Super Bowl. You know, we, Nick and I have talked about quarterback tiers before. And one of the ways we tier quarterbacks is how much help you need to give them. And with Josh Allen right now, Josh Allen is not in the, you can win a Super Bowl primarily due to this player. That's not the tier of quarterbacks he's in. Could he become that? Sure. That would be, that'd be awesome. Let's do that. But if he doesn't get any better, then look at the off season. There's only so good the team around him can be. There's a, there's a limit to how good the remainder of team can be around a quarterback. At some point, the quarterback's got to step up. Now, can you win a Super Bowl with an elite remainder of team and below average quarterback play? Yes, you can. But the probability is crazy low. This is not about possibilities. It's football, man. Anything can happen. We're talking about probabilities, not possibilities. And the probability is that Josh Allen's got to get better for this to be a Super Bowl team. And can he do that? Absolutely can. He's already done it once. He can absolutely get better. But this about is about as good of a team as you're going to be able to build around him long-term with the core without being saying, listen, Josh, buddy, at this point, it's on you. You got to get better. I tell you, I really respect the job and the work that you put into doing this because there's a lot of people, if I put them in this similar situation, I guarantee you, I'm not calling out anyone specifically by name, but, and I might be tempted to do it myself here, the people that I'm going to criticize. I would go out and I would find a way to make a fancy trade or go out and find a way to get me one or two sexy free agents that are going to get fans excited because I got cap room. You were responsible with it. You didn't just say, hey, I got the third most cap room in the NFL. I could go out and make two or three splash signings and that's exactly what I'm going to do because fans are going to soak it up and they're going to love it. I like the fact that you kind of, you really did truly put on a general manager hat and not a Bills fan hat, at least for the purpose of this exercise. And uh, this was a lot of fun, man. And I, re I really respect the job and the, and the homework and the and the time that you put into it. This was something that I, you know, I asked you to do and you, you took it really, really seriously. So big props to you for that, man. Well, I appreciate that, man. And I would argue to the fans out there who would come to me and say they wanted more splashy signings. I had three splashy signings. I had Deion Dawkins, Jordan Boyer, and Matt Milano. Yeah. And if... If you were a, a fan of a team and you acquired Jordan Poyer, Matt Milano, and Deion Dawkins from outside your team at those contracts, you'd consider that pretty splashy. So I don't understand why we wouldn't consider it splashy if we re-signed them. 
because if we don't resign them, we're just creating holes that we have to fill with splashy people next year. It's absolutely splashy if you resign one of your own talented players and make sure you don't have to deal with the unrestricted free agency next year. Yeah, that's absolutely right, man. All right, everyone, follow Bruce on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. Of course, check out the Nick and Nolan show Thursdays and Fridays now, correct? You guys are doing two pods a week. Yeah, Thursday and Friday on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate you. Again, great, great work. One of my favorites, man. Appreciate you, Bruce. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. All right, folks, that is going to do it for another episode. Very, very big thank you again. Bruce Nolan, Nick and Nolan Show. Can't say it enough how much I think of that guy. God, he's so good. Thank you, Bruce. Also want to thank today's show supporters, Audimute, 26 Shirts, Sounds Assured. Appreciate you all. Also appreciate each and every single one of you out there that continue to listen and subscribe to this podcast. You can subscribe on any major podcasting platform out there. Rate and review only takes a second, and it really helps me continue to grow this podcast tremendously. Also, be sure to check us out on our YouTube channel, Analytics Podcast. Again, on YouTube, highlight clips from current and past shows up there, as well as some original audio content as well. Then last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Pat Moran Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, promos, upcoming guests, vice back giveaways, and just banner with sports fans all the time. I mean, I'm literally on Twitter day and night. So you can find me there. Thank you so much. I always end the same way because it's the most important thing to me. Got to thank all you out there for listening. It really means a lot to me. I know how many podcasts are out there. There's like a trillion of them nowadays. So when you're tuned into this one, the home, the office, the gym, wherever you are, it means a lot to me and it, and it doesn't go lost. So thank you very much. Really appreciate you. Have a good, safe weekend. Stay safe out there, folks, and I'll be back. New episode next Tuesday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.